Father, we again come to your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone without instruction, but God, that you have left uh, this word uh, inspired by your Holy Spirit, the Lord, and uh, written out by your holy servants. So we want to thank you uh, for all that you have uh, made available to us. And this morning, we want to come to you again. Uh, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you will be our teacher, that you will open up your word to us again this morning so that we understand what it means and understand what it means for our lives specifically at this stage. We want to pray for your anointing, Lord, upon our brother, uh, Pastor Chiming, that Father, even as he shares your word this morning, he will do it in clarity and with the authority, Lord, that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. morning. When you come to church this morning, how do you uh, view this church? Is it uh, a gathering place, a place of fellowship? Is it your parents' church or your children's church or your grandchildren's church or is it your church? Uh, is it uh, a place where we come here traditionally every Sunday? Uh, a place where we sing a place where you get entertained, or just a church on the hill here at Pas Panjang Hill. Um, I hope that today as we come, let us come uh, with this heart here and say that uh, this is God's church. This is God's church. And I happen to be part of it. And I'm so excited that I'm part of it. Uh, it is a grace. It is a privilege. It is a miracle I'm here. To be part of this church. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about God's church here, from, the, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, let me just uh, go through with you a little bit background, overview of this book again, on those parts that I didn't cover on the first chapter. We are now into chapter 3, the third uh, chapter here. And then, today we're going to talk about this is God's church. Uh, there's a, the nature of this church, uh, the nature of this letter here is a, it's an occasional letter. It's not a generic letter for a specific occasion in response to two things. There was a report from the people back in, uh, who came back from Corinth, the Chloe household, as well as a letter from Chloe. So Paul began to address uh, this letter to them. And then this letter, there are four parts to it. Paul have an opening. I have mentioned that in chapter 1. And then there was a response to a report and the response to the report was related to uh, divisions in the church and there are other issues, two more issues that we covered the next two weeks. And also the response to the letter, the questions that they asked, Paul addressed all the various issues in the letter and then call, Paul closed the, the letter. The whole thing, what Paul is trying to say is this, is that our beliefs, what we believe in, what we have convictions in our lives, as well as our actions, our behavior, need to conform to the good news that is the gospel. In chapter 1 to 4, if you look carefully, uh, the, the issue is, is about uh, divisions. It's just the tip of the iceberg. The real issue is below the icebergs. The real issue is that the people there, they have been relying on the human wisdom. They look at the church and as a result, they misunderstand. First of all, they misunderstand the gospel. That's why Paul spent a lot of time addressing that the gospel is not foolish. The gospel is good. They misunderstand about the church, which is what we're going to talk about today at chapter 3. They misunderstand about the various, the leaders, the leaders we will talk about in chapter 4. 
So with this in mind, uh, you have a better idea about what we are going to cover here. So today we're going to talk about the church. Paul said, you have failed to live according to the Spirit and failed to grasp the fullness of the gospel, that is the wisdom of God. And as a result, they went into immaturity. And with that immaturity, they begin to view the church in the wrong way. So Paul has to explain to them in the whole chapter 3 about what is the church and how we should build it together. So if you have the Bible, you can just look at it in chapter 3. Let me read to you together chapter 3 verse 1 to 4 that the church needs to consist of spiritual people. What is this spiritual people? Let's look at this verse here. Verses here. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Okay? That's one group of people. But as people who are still worldly, second group of people, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk and not solid food for you are not yet ready. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, the same group of people, the second group. For since there are jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly, the second group of people? Are you not acting like mere human beings, the third group of people? These are all three different words here. Acting like mere humans. For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans, the third group of people? Okay, let me unpack this. I, I like charts because it helped me to remember. Let me just unpack this in the chart form. So Paul is talking about three groups of people here. The first group is that the spiritual people. Who are these people? These are people who has God's Spirit. They heard the Gospel, they respond to the Gospel, God's Spirit's come within them. And then they are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God take charge in their lives, direct their thoughts, direct their actions, help them to live right. They are walking in step with the Spirit. And their life was shaped by the Gospel. Because of what Christ has done, the Gospel shaped them. And last week, um, Kapo talked about, they are mature. Here, mature, I'm not talking about physical age. I'm not talking about spiritual age. How long are you have been a Christian? Or how long are you in your age? Here, spiritual means living the cruciform. A life that is crucified life. As what Kapo have talked about. How much our life is reflected as a result of what Christ has done in our lives, shaped by the crucifixions. So you can be a one-year-old Christian, you can be a one-day-old Christian, you can still be mature because you let the gospel transform your life. Or you can be a 30, 40 years old Christian, know the Lord for 40 years, but your life is not changed or shaped by the gospel, you are considered as immature, according to Paul here, is talking about here. And here, Paul is saying every Christian, everyone who has Christ in your life have the potential to live this kind of life, to live this kind of life, the spiritual people. But there's a second group of people here. Paul called them mere human beings here. I call it mere people. Who are these people? These are the people who without the Spirit of God, they do not know God's Spirit. They, they do not know God and therefore they, they are not saved by the Gospel. They find that the the cross is folly. The cross doesn't make sense to them. They do not need the cross. As a result, they do not know God personally. These are so-called the non-Christians, the people who do not know Jesus. These are the mere people, human beings. 
Paul said, by right, supposed to be only two groups of people. Either you're spiritual, you have the spirit, or you're without the spirit. However, unfortunately, the Corinthians are behaving like the third group of people. He called them worldly. In some version of the Bible, you can call them fleshy or carnal. So who are these people? These people are the people who have God's spirit. They are supposed to be spiritual people, but they are living like mere people, people without the spirit. Okay, they have God's spirit, but they are living as if they are, they are non-Christians. And Paul called them infants, immature. Infants, immature. Why? They, they are not transformed by the gospel. They are not living their life with God. They were fascinated here, the Corinthians, they were fascinated by human wisdom and divide them from the pure gospel. Paul is not talking about perfectionism here, fully become like Christ. Paul is talking about, no, it's about growing out, letting the Spirit transform you, letting the Spirit guide you. For Paul, becoming worldly is not an option. He wants everybody to live the Spirit-filled life, a life that is led by the Spirit. And Paul called them, these people, you are behaving like a child. You are childish behavior. That's why you're immature. There's quarreling. There's division among you. You are thinking not according to the spiritual people. So Paul is trying to say these people. So the church should conceive mainly of spiritual people. And therefore, what should we do? I'd like to encourage us. Be led by the Spirit of God. Be led by the Spirit of why. Why is it so? Because using the same words as the Corinthian, it is the wisest thing to do. It's the wisest thing to do. Because the Spirit know the heart of God, know the mind of God, and God's way of running our lives is the best. Because God created us. Jesus died for us. Don't follow the various human ways of running your life. And this human wisdom will can come short. And today, if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, I encourage you to be led by the Spirit. And today, if you are here, you don't have the Spirit of God with you. You are so-called like the mere people. Consider what Jesus has done for you, what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You too can have the Spirit to live in your life so that you can live this wise life. How does it work out practically? Okay, let me share you an example, my personal life example. I share a little bit more dra drama one because I remember it quite vividly. Uh, it happened um, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you see, in Chinese New Year, my family have these traditions. My mother said, must wear red, okay? Nothing white on the top. Nothing white, nothing black. Red. Okay, we all remember. For throughout all my growing up years, wear red, wear red, wear red, wear red. Then I went to... Uh, one day, um, I was serving as a missionary in China. I came back. I was thinking, okay, maybe... Um, yes, I wasn't thinking very well that time, that year. So I was back, back home, and Karen had uh, uh, two different sets of clothing. One is red, and the other one, she liked it quite much. Uh, it was white, and then the other one's turquoise, and she brought both along. So that morning, she asked me, hey, which one should I wear? Uh, red or this one white with turquoise? I like this one better. I said, that year, I said, no. I must make a statement to my mom. Why should I always follow this tradition? I must draw boundaries. I was led by my carnal self that, no, I shouldn't always give in to my mom. Karen, wear white and turquoise. 
we'll make a change this year. So we went back home, and guess what? Boom, boom, boom. There was unhappiness everywhere, and an argument. Then I tell my mom, why every year must wear white? Wear red. This is not really black, why it's white and then turquoise. It looks good. And we were arguing and quarreling. And then my, my dad is the wise one. He came to us, he said, uh, why don't you go back and change? Uh? <laughs> and suddenly it makes sense to me. Yes, I was wanting my own way, choosing to do my way, instead of letting the gospel transform me. I was leading my own life. What was I thinking? I was not honoring my parents. What is it? Just not that she don't have a red dress. Yeah. I was very proud then. So I went back, humbled myself, and then changed. And to my horror, my niece was watching all these things. See, she was talking to my sister. He said, missionary also behave like that. <laughs> I was supposed to be a spiritual person, but I'm living like a mere person, letting my stubborn self control me. Instead of letting the Spirit, I repented, I confessed my sin, I said, Holy Spirit, direct me. I went to my mom and said, I'm sorry for making a mess. Good thing it happened only in the morning after that, though. Few days of Chinese New Year went very well. And I wrote an email to all my siblings and my niece. I'm sorry for creating such a blunder. I was led by myself instead of the Holy Spirit. And there are numerous occasions in the way I deal with people. I, 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 I was living like a mere man. And of course, there are millions where I, I listen to the Spirit and things turn out well. In our church, we're going to rub each other. We're going to grow up. But Paul say the wisest thing to do, listen to the Spirit. Live a transformed life. A life that is shaped by the gospel. A life that is shaped by the crucified Christ. Dying to yourself. So that's the first point. The second point about the church, that the church will grow. This church will grow. And Paul likened the church to a growing field. Chapter 3, verse 5 to 9. Because they were quarreling, so Paul had to explain a bit here. See, what is, after all, is Apollos. Who is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord have assigned each a task. God's desire is to grow the church. And He used people, various ones. And these people, they are called servants. You see, the cross also serves as a very interesting basic model for ministry. The people of the world have misunderstood. They thought the leaders are big boss, they are the master. But then Paul reversed it and said, no, the people who serve you, the people who help you, they are, turned around, servants. For a common purpose, for your growth, they are not your master. So focus not on the servants, but focus on the masters. And then he also mentioned each of them are given different roles, different tasks. Here he just highlights two leaders. But in reality, in the church of God, every one of us here today have a role to play. Have a role to play. And we are just merely doing our part to grow this church. And what are the various roles? Paul said, I planted. In other words, I share the seed of the gospel. I founded the church. Apollo watered. Apollo came along. He cultivated. He continued the teaching, ministering, helped people to grow. And of course, there are many others here that was not mentioned because these are the two that they were highlighting that causes the, 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 the people were loyalty to that caused all the various decisions. 
But God said this, it is God who is the one who is making things grow. So no one takes credit. God alone is the one who saves, sanctifies. God alone is the one who makes it grow. And so God said, I will grow my church. The church will grow. And God says in verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters, they are of one purpose, help one another to grow in maturity, and each will be rewarded for their labor. God say, I will not shortchange you. When you give your time to build my church, I will not shortchange you. I will reward you. Reward you. God values our, converse, our contributions. In fact, God said this, we are God's co-worker. God said, I'm doing this work. I don't need you, but I invite you to become my co-worker. I invite you to become my co-workers. And we can play a good part, a key part here, because we are God's building. He began to shift the analogy from a field to become a building. And the focus is on God it's on God, not the people who is the regular attendee, not the leaders, not the pastor, not the person who gives the most to church. No, the church does not belong to all of us, does not belong to us, it belongs to God Himself. And God say He wants to grow the church. And Paul say what? To serve God, to build this church, it is all grace, privilege. When I got to serve communion today, when I got to arrange the chair, I get to uh, lead the worship, pray for people. I got to preach. I got to encourage people. All this, Paul say what? It is a privilege. It's all grace of God given to us. What a privilege. That's how Paul builds the church. And God wants to grow it. And Paul say, I found a found, I found, I lay a foundation that is wise builder and somebody else built on it. But each of us should build with care that no one should lay any foundations other than what already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation is His Christ and the good news, the gospel. Salvations by the grace of God, not by the various works. Other foundations would be like human effort, human wisdom, salvation by law, salvation by works. No. And Paul said, be careful, don't go in shake the foundation or replace the foundation or do wrong things or build wrong on, wrongly on these foundations. And then Paul have this whole list about how to build the church with care. You see, there are two groups of materials here. If anyone, you, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver and costly stones, one group, yellow colour, huh? wood, hay and straw, orange colour, another group, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire and fire will test the quality of each man's work. For if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the fire. Through the fire. Paul is contrasting the first three groups of material with the next three second groups of material. 
The emphasis is not about the value, the costliness of it. The emphasis is about its enduring quality, not consumed through the fire. Fire both will reveal and test the quality, and the quality will determine the reward. So the emphasis is not about the purifying the worker. It's not about the worker, but the workmanship. The work, what kind of quality? Whether it is perishable by fire or non-perishable by fire. Again, let me give you a chart to unpack this. How do we build God's church? We should do it with gold, silver, and costly stones. What are gold, silver, and costly stones? Teaching, ideas, things that are compatible with the gospel. I want to limit it to this particular context here in chapter 3. And then teachings, they are aligned with the gospel and Christ's teaching here. And also with the right motive, because Paul talks about later in chapter 4 about the motive. And then in chapter 13, he, he says, without love, I am nothing. If the not, it's not motivated by love, then I'm nothing, I get nothing. So here the right motive that is focused on love. And then Paul says, you will be rewarded. So if you build God's church here on ideas or teaching that is compatible with gospel and Christ's teaching with a motive of love, God say, I will not shortchange you. You will be rewarded. Wood, hay and straw. What are these? These are based on human wisdom that will contradict the gospel. Human wisdom that will contradict the gospel as well as false or distorted t- teaching that Contrary to the gospel. And the wrong motive, self-glory for self as opposed to love. And then you will not be rewarded. But Paul say, you will be saved. Don't worry. Everybody will make it. Just that. The effort you put in, in the wrong way, you will not be saved. Uh, sorry, you, you will not be rewarded. Sorry. Let me re- retract what I said. Let me illustrate this. Um, about maybe just the wood, hay, and straw. I read a story about the one choir member from Brooklyn Tabernacle. She went to a, a different church, and that church leader come to her and say that, okay, when you sing songs, don't sing songs that mention the blood of Jesus. Why? Because people will feel uncomfortable, and our goal is to be user-friendly. Okay? This is what I'm talking about here. That is totally contrary to the, um, to the gospel. And then another story. Evan Chua lent me a book called The Renovation of a Church by uh, Ken Carlson. It's about this Oak Hill Church. This church um, started in, in, the 80s, uh, in the 80s, started with 17 people. And then um, within... Within uh, 16 years, the church grew to 200 people, but mostly are transferred membership and very few new believers. So they said, well, we must grow the church. So they went to Willow Creek Community Church to learn how to build the church. They were awed by the facilities, the professionalism, the music, the multimedia, the messages. were simple, convincing, highly motivating. And they got the idea, they said, this is good. So they came back and they built the church using some of these ideas. So they Move the Sunday worship 
to weekdays for Christians, and then the weekend, Sunday, becomes seeker-friendly so that more non-Christians, people who want to know more, can come. Every week, they put together a one-hour-on theatrical productions. Great music, intrigue drama sketches, engaging testimony, good sermons, one minute, oh, sorry, one-hour chop-chop. Many people came, non-Christian, and people received Christ, and then the church grew from... 200 to 1,000, they knew that they have done a good job. Performance, perspective, good rate. Artistic, artistic element, compelling. People were touched, technically excellent. Their formula, make people laugh, make people cry. That's the art. And one day, one of the creative pastors, uh, creative arts past, uh, pastor commented in an uncharacteristic, dark irony. He said this, you know what? Actually, we don't even need God to do this. They knew that they are building God's kingdom. They knew that without Christ, they can do nothing. But they also knew that everything was carefully planned without need for God. And to the pastor horror, he realized that he had created a monster. And this monster demanded to be fed. And the church continued to grow, 1,700. But, the, father, the, but the, the pastor felt depleted because every week to come to have this one-hour tip-top service, very, very challenging. He realized that he had treated church members as religious consumers. They were growing church, but they were not growing more like Jesus. And they were not presenting the radical message of Jesus because they were treating, um, attracting people like a consumer way, which is in direct conflict in the ways of Jesus. They were not inviting people with direct encounter with Jesus that result in transformations. So God convicted them. They realized that something had to happen. The senior pastor got convicted. Then they have a, the leadership got convicted. Then they said, it's time to make an overhaul, big overhaul. So it starts from the foundations. They begin to ask themselves, what is the gospel? What are we called to respond to? What's the purpose of the church? And they were very convinced by this uh, saying from Peter, Pastor Eugene Peterson, he said here, Christ, if Christ is king, everything, literally everything, and everyone has to be reimagined, reconfigured, reoriented to the life that consists of an obedient following of Jesus. It cannot be accomplished by attending meetings here and there. So a total renovations, repentance were required. They were not program change, but the hearts were changed. And they move away the secret family meeting from, uh, from on Sunday. No more weekdays Christian meeting. All move down to weekend. Service get longer. Preaching begin to revisit about the gospel. The gospel is the reign of Christ within us. And then the kingdom of God. Guess what? Attendance dropped. 1,700. It dropped down to 700. They lost 1,000 members. But they were spiritual formations. Real change happened. People were becoming more and more like Christians. More and more like Christ. And he said that in the book, it is not a critique about Willow Creeks. It's the way people apply that become a problem. So this is how, some ways that how we can build the church in the wrong way. To the church in Corinthian, the application is to build God's church with care with the ideas, with the teaching that is aligned with the gospel. To PPH today, it's the same message too. 
let's be careful how we build God's church. However, I felt God today have a, another message for us in PPH. We talk about this area of service. God wants to grow His church in PPH. You can play a part in it. God is inviting you to be His co-worker. It is a grace. It is a privilege. Don't compare with other church. Don't complain. Play your role. Moreover, you'll be rewarded. I remember a sister came here many years ago. She received Christ and then the whole family received Christ. She was so touched by the love of God. She wanted to equip herself to serve the Lord. Realized that no need to be equipped. She can just come and pray. She prayed for people. She invited people to the church. She shared the gospel. She was so touched by the gospel. She find a privilege and she began to, to share and attend prayer meeting to pray. Bless many people. Later on, together the family opened up a home for, for CG to meet. Simple way. And today some of us are sitting here Maybe you have been serving for a lot for some time and you say, maybe time for retirement. Let me tell you, you miss all the fun. The fun of growing God's church. You have a role to play. And some of us are new. I feel inadequate. I feel I've got nothing to give. Everyone, God has assigned a task. There is something. The Spirit of God lives within you. There is something you can do. Open your home. Invite people. Be a driver. Celebration of hope. Be a children's chaperone. Various ways. Don't wait until you are adequate. God's Spirit lives within you. And I encourage you, come and be part of God's church. Serve and build this church. So since God wants to grow this church, let's all play a part in building it. Thirdly, this church, the church is God's temple. God's temple. Do you not know that you yourself is God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you are in that temple. This imagery of temple is rich here, both to the Jews there in Corinth as well as to the Corinthians. The Jews, this idea of God's presence, God's glory dwelling in their midst is big and glorious and wonderful. God starts by being with the people in the wilderness and then He, he dwelt among the tent in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But because the people sinned, the glory of God, the presence of God departed from them. And Jesus Christ came. He said, Jesus Christ tabernacle, Jesus Christ lived among us. Jesus Christ died for our sins and not now. He promised His presence with us. And to the Corinth, Corinthians also, this idea about the presence of, this idea about God's temple also, because they are filled with many temples and, and Paul reminded, you are the real temple, the holy temple of God. And guess who are these you? The Corinthians, the immature Corinthians, filled with divisions, filled with problems, filled with all the quarreling. Yet Paul still say what? You are the holy temple of God. God's Spirit dwells in your midst. What a privilege here. And that's a sacred. And that's why it comes with a warning. Don't create havoc in God's church. God treasure it. It's sacred. It's sacred. It is time for us to recapture it back again. 
but what it means that this is the temple of God where I can seek Him. This is the temple of God where God's presence is here with us. So if this is God's temple, let us seek God here because God's Spirit is among us. When I was young, I followed my mom to the Chinese temple. She will queue up, wake up very early. She will queue up. A lot of people, she will queue up. She will squeeze very patiently. She will wait in order that to present before the gods her heart's requests. And she treated, she bowed down with reverent awe. I see that how she revered God, her way, her God's her way. And I look at this church here and I'm so thankful that we can come. Just on Friday, there was a lady who walked into the church. He said, why? Why are you here? She wanted to go to the hall to pray. Though she, she recognized it's just a building, but because of the people that associate with the people of God, God's presence is there, she knows. So she come here to pray. And then when we come to church, I hope that we come to church with transformed the, the gospel as what Gordon Fee, he said this, when we come before the church in God's temple here, you should have a sense of first unworthiness. You must feel, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. It's true, I don't belong here. Why? God is holy. I'm so sinful. I am so unworthy to belong here. That is the gospel. The first part. But the second part, at the same time, there must be is this opposing sense of joy. It is all God's grace because Christ died for me. I do belong here. God's presence is here. God's grace is here. I do belong here. On one hand, there is this reverence, awe, and sense of underworldliness. On the other hand, there is this sense of grace, joy, because of what Christ has done for us. And therefore, this is the house of God. Let us seek God. I'm not talking about seeking God that He had to be found. I'm not seeking God in terms of coming to pray before His presence, coming to treasure His presence. God's Spirit is here. I hope that you capture this and that the gospel transform and let's really seek God in His house. Today, I know some of you are here. There is a burden in your heart, a concern, whether for yourself, your family, for your loved one, for things. This house... It's a house of prayer. God's Spirit is here. Come and pray before God. I'm going to end. I'm going to extend the service a little bit, slightly a bit longer for us to come into God's presence to seek Him. Come and pray. And some of you here today, you realize that you are spiritual, but you are behaving like the mere person. And it's time for you to seek God. Musicians, can you come forward? It's time for you to come and seek, seek God. And some of you here, Say, God, I've been in this church long enough. There's something that I want to do. And I want to pray that I can do something, contribute to the building. This. I don't want to miss all the fun. I want to play my role here. here. So I'm going to end this time with a time of worship and prayer. Where you are, whether individually or two by two, just pray. Whatever there is God placed in your heart, God's Spirit is here. God wants you to beseech Him. God wants you to seek Him. Come and pray in God's presence. And those of you who need people to come to pray with you, please come. Come to the altar. Elders and deacons, get ready. Please come. There are people who want to seek prayer. God's presence is here. Let's pray.
Let's pray. God's holy presence. His spirit lives here. So let's pray. So we're going to end in time of worship. We're not going to sing very loud. Sing a bit softer so that you can hear your own prayer. But let's enjoy. Treasure God's presence. Yeah. Shall we rise? Let's all stand. This is God's temple. God's spirit lives here. God is here. Seek Him. Bring your burden to Him. Bring your request to Him. If you need people to pray for, please come forward. Don't be shy. Come forward. The leaders will pray with you. If not, just enjoy God's presence. Shall we just sing? I stand amazed. I stand amazed. I stand amazed. So if you want, just lift your voices to the Lord in prayer. If you want people to pray with, come forward. If not, they can just two by two, just, just pray. This is God's temple. God's spirit is here. burden in your hearts, just pour it before the Lord. If you need healing, need comfort, come. God is here.
Treasure God's presence is here. We are His temple. His Spirit lives here. Tell God your concerns. Just enjoy His presence here. Let Him comfort you. Let Him console you. Let Him empower you. Let Him use you. Let Him control you. thank you for your word here. You said, do you not know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Thank you. Thank you that God, we are your temple. You are here with us. Indeed, Lord, we feel so unworthy. We don't belong. But yet, God, thank you because of your blood, because of your sacrifice, we do belong because of all your grace. Help us to remember this corporately when we come together and worship. Help us to remember your powerful presence lives among us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.